0: Hello and welcome to Social Justice Matters, a podcast from Social Justice Ireland. I'm Colette Bennett, Economic and Social Analyst with Social Justice Ireland. As regular listeners will know by now, we have three different types of podcasts. Our seminar series is a look back at some of our conference and seminar presentations where you can hear from people like Anne Pettifor, Joe Larragie and Tony Fahey. Our 10-minute lesson series, where we give a brief overview of a policy topic, and that's meant to be a useful introduction to an area that we hope our listeners will find useful. And our interview series, where we have chatted with experts on a range of policy areas. So today's episode is one of those. I'm joined by Eamon Carroll, Research Assistant with the Education Team in the ESRI. Eamon is here to talk to me about the digital divide to mark World Information Society Day, which was last Monday, the 17th of May. I hope you enjoy it. So Eamon thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Um, just I suppose to before we start off kind of talking about the digital divide and, and what it is and how it impacts people and um, if you could just give me a kind of a, a flavour of the work that you're doing in this area.
1: Yes yeah, so I am uh, on the education team at the Economic and Social Research Institute here in Dublin and uh, the main work that we would have done the focus on this uh, was around this time last year, we did a survey nationwide with secondary school school leaders, and we followed up that survey, which I think we got responses from about 33% of school leaders nationally, so it was a really good nationally representative sample, and we followed that up with 10 interviews. Uh, so we were really digging into the, um yeah, what, working from home looked like in schools and how they were kind of adapting to the challenges there. Uh, so that work was actually funded by the Department for Climate Communications. Um, I think it was Department for Communications then. But yes, it was much more focused on the broadband side of things. But luckily, uh, we do an awful lot of uh, interdisciplinary work in the SRI. So we were able to look at the more purely educational side of things as well. So it was a really interesting example of looking at different uh Outcomes in the same kind of study. Um, so yeah, and then other than that, um, on the education team, we do a lot of work on education inequality and particularly around socioeconomically disadvantaged students and their experiences, and outcomes, and students with special educational needs uh, in the education system. And I'm sure those two groups will come up again as we talk about the digital divide. Yeah.
0: Be certain of it. Um, you know, it, it's interesting actually that that study. You know, it, it wasn't the Department of Education that was looking at it, but I suppose when it started off, it probably wasn't education. Probably wasn't at the forefront of it because it was more about remote work, really. Um, I suppose to to jump straight in, then can you can you talk? I suppose in in general terms about the digital divide. Like, what does that actually mean as a term that's being knocking around?
1: Yeah, so I suppose it's probably one term that's used to cover a few different things at this stage, but certainly uh, in our report, we were using it to cover maybe four distinct uh, separate divides. Uh, So the first and probably the most prominent one, the one that comes to most people's minds first, uh, would have been around broadband and access to broadband and the quality of broadband. Um, So across Ireland, obviously, you've hugely varying levels of broadband speed and access geographically would have been the main kind of access of the divide there, but also you would have families in areas with good broadband who wouldn't have been able to afford the broadband or would have had other issues in accessing it. Um, so the broadband was kind of the foremost divide and you know the most intractable to solve. Like when we spoke to school leaders they had suggestions on the other fronts, but uh, nobody had any good kind of approaches to dealing with the broadband divide. Uh, so secondly, then what we found was a divide around access to devices, and again to kind of suitable devices so when kids were working from home uh when schooling was entirely remote last year and again this year so hopefully less of this year uh, you'd have a lot of kids without laptops or where the family might have kind of one laptop between two parents working from home one child in college one child in school um and so you might be able to get the laptop for an hour a day and do a zoom class on that but the rest of the time you'd be working off your phone on worksheets or you might have an iPad, um, and so, you know, that was another area. And again, this one more so than the broadband one would, would have re- reflected longer-standing disadvantages in that students kind of from families with more uh, resources were more likely to have suitable devices at home. Um, then the other two were kind of less thought of, but uh, also important. Um, one of them was around the digital divide in terms of kind of teachers and schools Skills and um, experience with digital learning and online learning. Uh, You know, you have some schools in Ireland that would be uh, iPad schools where every student in the school has an iPad, where, you know, it wasn't as much of a jump to then go to entirely online learning uh, as in schools where nobody had an iPad. Um, You'd have some teachers who would be very kind of involved and enthusiastic about the potential of digital teaching and digital learning before the pandemic, who were able to kind of jump straight in, and other teachers who maybe had more experience with traditional teaching, and thus found it a bit more difficult to make the jump to this entirely new system overnight. Um, And so it just took them a while maybe to find hit the ground running. And then finally, something that surprised me a bit was that there was a bit of a divide in terms of students' own digital skills. Um, So, you know, I talked to school leaders who said that they would have had students who were finding it difficult to use email, um, struggling to work on Microsoft Teams, all these things? And I suppose with the digital native generation, so-called, you don't expect that. But you know there is a difference between the skills you need for kind of tootling around on the internet or going on TikTok, and the skills you need to learn online. And so you know there was a bit of a divide there as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, you see even among adult populations who are who, who use email every day, you know, depending on the different type of system that you're using for your meetings. So we have, you know, Teams and we have Zooms and we have, oh, there's a few other different ones that I've been using in the last while. You know, it's almost like that that kind of seance um, comparison of like, are you there? Can anybody hear me? They're right there. Oh, you're back again. You know. Adults are having a, a difficulty with it because it's something that's just not known. Um, and I suppose then when you add in general learning difficulties, it becomes so much more difficult. Can I ask just and I, it's just something I'm, I, I'm not aware of. Has there been any research or any sort of um, engagement to try and see how the you know the more digital schools, the impact on education that that, that has had? Because yeah, like I know there was a, a push towards using iPads in schools so that the, the, the books weren't as heavy and you didn't have to, to buy them outright and all of those things. Um, has there been any comparison of, of could it the, that digital push even pre-COVID um, versus the more say traditional
1: learning style? Yeah, so there's quite a bit out there. Um, I'm struggling to think of any specific papers off the top of my head, but certainly people have looked at it. Um, What's interesting is that I'm thinking of one paper um, about a school uh, somewhere in Dublin or Meath. I think it was, where they actually had been on iPads and had decided to go back off the iPads because they found they weren't quite achieving what they'd hoped they would achieve. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a lot of uh, research out there showing the kind of potential of what you can do with these new learning technologies and platforms, um, but certainly it's not it's not easy to replace classroom teaching and certainly it's not easy to kind of even improve on classroom teaching because it's something that's been developed over quite a long time there's a lot of expertise gone into it um, and so yeah like there there definitely is an awful lot of research out there on um, digital learning and teaching but um, not all of it is as kind of glowingly positive as you might expect.
0: I suppose that it's it's a very different style. It's a very different it's almost like a just different discipline. Um, you know, because not alone do you, you not have that kind of interactive group learning where people, you know, peer to peer learning. Um, but you also it's a very different way of interacting, um, you know, to, to be able to do it online. You're lack, lacking all that body language. You're lacking the kids that might be fallen behind to be able to spot it maybe as fast as you could in a in a classroom situation. Um, and with that in mind, I suppose, and, and we've, you know, we've probably certainly at least tipped in the right direction of it who is most likely to be affected by the digital divide? Like, is there a, an age dimension? Is there a gender gap? Is there a, I presume there's a socio socioeconomic profile aspect to it. Did your your report kind of land on any of that?
1: Yeah, so in terms of the, um, the age dimension, firstly, we were only looking at secondary school students. Um, other work has looked at primary school students and found, yeah, I think kind of primary is a very different type of education. And certainly I think one that is, which even more difficult to convert to online than secondary, where in secondary it's a bit more content-focused and content is kind of easier to get across online, maybe, than um, the broader set of skills you're trying to, to get across in primary, more so, or the more fundamental skills. Um, within secondary, even, I think, in a lot of ways, uh, the higher up the school you got, the more kind of the actual learning aspect of distance learning worked for students, in that, as you kind of progress up through the school, you're becoming more kind of autonomous as a learner. You can self direct yourself a lot more. And so, you know, if a teacher says, you know, do these worksheets, do these even search exam papers, you can try them, see how you get on, and then come back for feedback. And you don't need maybe the same amount of step by step instruction as younger students do. Um, but obviously, senior psycho students in particular had a, a different kind of set of stress facing them during the online learning period. So it's kind of hard to be too definitive about that. In terms of gender, um, in the interviews, there didn't seem to be a gendered aspect noted by the school leaders. Um, our survey, when we did some more quantitative analysis, did show that engagement was generally higher in uh, single-sex girls' schools than in mixed schools or boys' schools. But um, I think that's probably reflective of kind of the status quo rather than anything new to the digital divide. Generally, girls are more engaged in, than boys in schools and girls' schools generally show a higher engagement than mixed or boys' schools. Um, and then finally, in terms of the socioeconomic gap, um, yeah, this seemed to be uh, a very serious area of concern And, again, in some ways it was kind of reflecting pre-existing patterns of engagement and disengagement, but I think it it did exacerbate them as well, much more so than the the gender issue, uh, in that I think that maybe a lot of the things that have been done in schools in the last 10, 20 years to really, um, you know, improve the experiences and outcomes among socioeconomically disadvantaged students, I think a lot of them were hit very hard by Uh, the switch to remote learning. So, you know, having smaller class sizes um, is brilliant. It means you get more kind of personal attention from the teacher, but it's very difficult to give that kind of personal attention online. And yeah, like a lot of the work around turning schools into a place where students really want to be and somewhere that is a good place for students to be, that's obviously out the window the second you go online. Um, And so, yeah, like there was an awful lot more disengagement among students from socioeconomically disadvantaged backgrounds than elsewhere and yeah I think that the difference between online learning and classroom learning is probably a very big part of that.
0: Yeah I mean it was something that immediately struck me as you were talking about you know the the progression from the, the needs of a pupil at primary level to kind of Early secondary and then kind of on, obviously to the different stresses with with exam years, um, but presumably that's very much kind of a an average student's uh, profile. When it comes to you know children with additional needs or children from particular backgrounds that that might have more learning needs, that might have more more need for that engagement, more need for that that support, that community. Um, then you know the the lines possibly blur in terms of how much attention those those children need, really. Um, That's it.
1: It's about kind of what you're getting out of school. And, you know, for some students, a large part of what they're getting out of school is just the kind of academic instruction. And then, you know, the the fun they have with friends or the relationships they forge with teachers are kind of secondary to that. But, you know, for students um, from the more kind of socioeconomic disadvantaged backgrounds, like what keeps them... Uh, interested in and engaging in and even attending school. You know, I mean, I, I would worry that we will see an increase in non completion of school in the next few years as this all plays out. Um, but you know, it is the, the personal relationships and it's a kind of a school wide network of support that was just incredibly difficult to replicate during the pandemic. Do you know, what I mean, you look at desk schools and, you know, as well as teaching kids in class, they're also providing free school meals, uh, which generally you know, student schools were able to, to put together something to continue that, but um, you know, it was very stressful for all involved. Uh, you have a lot more in the way of kind of counseling supports available to students, you've homeschool, coordinate community liaisons. Um, there's just a lot more work going into kind of making school the place for these kids to be and the place where they're happy to be. And yeah, like people were still working very hard at it during the pandemic, but it just became immensely more complex
0: yeah i mean it, it's it's something that that needs to be stated and i'm sure not to you given the work that you're doing um but you know just generally to people who may be listening to this you know the the fact that children in disadvantaged areas you know are are more likely to disengage from the digital platform even if they have you know, the, the, the capacity to engage with it or even if they have the, the necessary um, broadband and the necessary hardware to do it, you know, it, it, there's, there's also that environment. So, you know, kids from a more erratic or, you know, chaotic background are going to have difficulty sticking to a schedule when they're the ones that absolutely have to do it, but there's nowhere to leave and be scheduled that, you know, that, that they're responsible for all of that with everything else that may be going on in the background.
1: That's it. And we just published a paper based on the, the research from last year about the kind of home learning environment and how that kind of differed among various students. And yeah, I mean, you know, the, the great selling point of the classroom environment is that from nine to four every day, everyone is in the same environment and hopefully having a, a roughly similar experience. Whereas, you know, if you're at home, the difference between being a family in a or being a student, um, you know, in a family of four with a four-bedroom house, where there's lots of room, you don't need to worry. Versus, you know, being cramped into a smaller number of rooms, um, you know, maybe your parents are frontline workers, which you know, disproportionately lower earning parents are likely to be, and so they're out of the house all day. There's no one around to keep an eye on you. Your parents might not have um, the kind of experience with the education system that more affluent parents might have, and so. You know they might not kind of know how to navigate it with the same level of expertise, or they might not kind of see not the long term benefits. Because I think across all communities in Ireland, pretty much everyone equally kind of sees the long term benefits of uh, progressing onto higher education, but more just kind of what it takes day to day to actually get there. You know I think um, middle class college educated parents are very familiar with that, both from their own trajectories and also from um you know, their wishes to push their children down that line or to facilitate their children to go down that line, whereas um, less advantaged parents generally might not just have the same kind of noose and experience in, yeah, navigating that kind of quite difficult system sometimes. And so you have all these factors adding up where, You know, you might be a little bit more likely to have poor internet or no internet, a little bit likely to have unsuitable devices, a little bit less motivation uh, yourself because you don't enjoy school as much, you don't enjoy the the academic side of it as much, um, a little bit less external motivation because your parents aren't around to tell you to sit down and do your homework uh, or to engage in the classroom. And so it all kind of adds up. And yeah, like I think it's, it's really important that we take a systemic look at these things and see them not just as a result of one thing, like you know, if these kids, if everyone had a broadband connection, everything would be fine. Or if everyone had a laptop, everything would be fine. You know, it's a lot more complex than that. But um, yeah, I think if you if you take a systemic approach and look at all these things together, you can see how there are such different experiences and trajectories.
0: There was also quite a bit written last year in relation to time out of the education system Um, and there were some great reports in relation to looking at the kind of long-term impact of that so you know that we know for example there's a a, an effect on earnings over time there's an effect on further education over time Um, do you expect or can you speak to the fact that that might be an issue with the digital divide as well that it would have a, a similar impact?
1: yeah so I think um yeah, it's difficult to say at this point because there has never been anything quite like this before um so there are some fascinating studies around um extended periods of school closure after weather events or um schools closing down, I think often in the states um which show that yeah, like there are long term effects of missing you know a few months or a term or a year of school uh for large groups of people um so I think the worry is that we would see something like that happening again here. Um, against that, I suppose, there has never been such a concerted push to continue providing a similar level of education while schools were closed. And so, you know, hopefully we would have been able to mitigate some of that. But I think that the digital divide is going to play into who suffers the worst from it uh, in that, you know, I mean, I was talking to school leaders uh, towards the end of May last year. And they were saying that they had some students maybe in fourth or fifth year who, you know, the worry wasn't how would they do when they got back. The worry was, would they come back to school at all? And that once this kind of, the routine of being in school is broken, it'd be very difficult to start up again. And, you know, that was May 2020. The 2020. last year, you know, maybe there were kids who were brought back into school then in September. But then we would another four months out there. Um, So it's just been very rocky and uncertain um, for everyone, but especially for maybe more vulnerable students. And so, yeah, I I think research is going to have to look at that very closely over the next few years and, yeah, look at maybe students who might have, um, you know, left school early who might not otherwise have left school early and what can be done there in terms of further education and training or apprenticeships or other kind of, non-school pathways that will still deliver the best kind of future life outcomes. And then for students who are still in school, said so the, the junior cycle students, I think there is a worry that, yeah, kind of students who have fallen behind a bit academically over the, the two lockdown, the school closure periods, um, that, yeah, if that isn't addressed quickly and efficiently or effectively, then um, that gap will continue to widen rather than closing.
0: Um, and, you know, COVID was, was obviously had a massive impact. But one of the things that was almost lauded about it was, you know, look how progressive we're being. And, you know, there's there's, there's this idea of a, a remote working and remote learning. And, you know, it's, it's for some, it's going to be really beneficial. And, you know, now I know that, that the department, um, you know, about price trade and employment, they're looking at, um, you know, more remote working supports and flexible working, and and that will be really beneficial for for many households, I'm sure. Um, but I suppose looking at specifically in relation to education, what impact do you think that that COVID will have on that, or or you know, that the digital divide will have on COVID, maybe?
1: Yeah, so I think the main thing that we always should remember around education is that like it's not just. A transmission of content or a covering of curricula you know like it is um a holistic growing process and i think that that is really where one of the biggest challenges of remote learning has been in kind of covering the full spectrum of what we hope to to impart to students through education and in that respect i think it's very diff- different from work where um, you know it's much more about just you know, going into your office or sitting down at your desk at home, getting what you need to do done. And, you know, a lot of your other needs around kind of socializing and hobbies and other kind of parts of your full life aren't really linked to work at all. Whereas in schools, I think they are linked much more solidly. And teenagers, obviously, as anyone who has any or knows any will know, are very different uh, in many ways to adults. You know, they need a lot more social interaction. They need you know, they're still developing much more into who they're going to be compared to adults. And so, you know, what will work, I think, in terms of remote working for, um, for adults in the workforce uh, is very different from what would be effective for students. And probably the biggest finding that we had in our uh, survey and interviews last year was just how much school leaders were looking forward to getting back into the classroom just as soon as it could be done and in any safe way at all um whereas i think if you'd surveyed adults there were a lot of people who were very happy not to be back in the office and you know a lot of people who would happily continue this arrangement as long as they can so yeah like i think covid has revealed a lot about the education system but i i don't think it'll have the same kind of transformative effect as it will in the world of work just because i think uh, most of the emphasis will be on getting back to the classroom and then kind of implementing the new digital platforms and techniques and tools that students and teachers are now kind of experts in uh, within the classroom more so than in, instead of the classroom.
0: Great um, and finally um in terms of, of the work that you've done and the report that you've been engaged the reports that you've been engaged in, what would be your main recommendations specifically around the digital divide?
1: Yeah, so to go back to the the kind of four aspects of the digital divide that we I touched on earlier. Um, in terms of broadband, I think uh, everybody recognises now how important it is to uh, really provide high quality broadband to everyone in the country. And you know, I think there's there's work going on in that regard, but I think the faster it can be done, the better, basically. So that's a a fairly straightforward one in terms of what needs to be done, even if it could take any amount of time before it actually gets done. Um, In terms of devices, I think it's a bit less straightforward in that we saw a huge kind of variety of approaches to devices within schools, whether there were schools who always had iPads, who continued to use iPads, schools who... um, used special funding made available by the department to purchase uh, laptops and iPads for the the lockdown last year, um, or schools who kind of dug into their own, they might have had a trolley of laptops in the school and they kind of distributed those out to students. Um, So I think there it's about looking at what has worked over the last 12 months and kind of enshrining that into future practice um, and really it's about kind of working with schools and rather than Telling schools you have to do this with laptops or this with iPads, kind of ensuring that the resources are there, that schools can do this and that schools are thinking about how to reach all students with this and to Mm kind of close any digital gaps that have opened up there. Uh, Then in terms of uh, skills among teachers and school staff, uh, again, I think a lot of it is about catching up with where teachers have gotten to rather than dragging teachers up to a certain standard. I think there's been some really amazing work done. And yeah, it was at the end of the, the interviews with the school leaders last year after often quite a, a kind of downbeat talk. Uh, I was like, well, to finish up, you know, is there any positives you've drawn from the experience? And, you know, pretty much all of them mentioned the kind of community spirit that it's shown the school has and how much teachers and students and staff had risen to the challenge, but also the kind of scale of the learning and the innovation that teachers had taken part in, and you know, that they'd mastered new platforms and kind of narrowed down the best way to do things. So I think uh there should be a real concerted effort now to kind of mirror to catch up to that and um you know find what works and disseminate that broadly across the um across the country and to all teachers. And then finally, in terms of student skills and um, platforms, I think, yeah, it's just something that we need to be aware of and um, something that we need to look at, you know, whether it's courses that can be done or whether it's just kind of including a focus in other modules just to make sure that, uh, yeah, we're not assuming students have skills that they don't just because they know how to work a mobile phone. Yeah, and I think, you know, that is
0: something that, it's a point that you made really well that I think people possibly don't think of. You know, like if you could use a an Xbox or a PlayStation. I'm going to show my age now. An Xbox or a PlayStation or what? You know, a Commodore sixty four. Um, <laughs> that you know you, you're fine with any sort of digital platform. When really it's a it's a world apart in terms of what you need to learn and engage and what you you can do. Could have, as you say, could have scrolling mindlessly through something recreationally. Um, finally, and thank you so much for, for all of your time. Um, where can people access your
1: reports? So, the best place is the ESRI website, um, which has all of the reports. If you um, search my name, Eamon Carroll, ESRI, you come to my page, and all of my works are kind of linked there. Uh, or if you just go into the ESRI website, you can find that the education page that has all of the work we've been doing in COVID and beyond over the last number of years.
0: Great. Thank you so, so much again, Eamon.
1: Thank you very much.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode. For information on our policy proposals on education, check out our website, www.socialjustice.ie. As always, if you have any ideas or suggestions for our podcast, please do let us know by emailing us at secretary at socialjustice.ie. Until next time, stay safe.